good morning. Good morning, everybody. Well, welcome, welcome. If I haven't met you, my name is Pastor Mike Lotzer. We are in week four of our sermon series called Failing Forward. In this series, we are saying that we're all going to make mistakes in life. What really counts is do we learn from them and do we surrender our mistakes to God so that he can use them in redemptive ways? And each week, we're looking at a snapshot in the life of Moses. Moses was a leader. He did amazing things, and yet he failed all the time, and God used him in a powerful way. I heard a research study recently about monkeys. Four monkeys were in a cage, and this researcher was studying fear, right? And there was a pole in the middle of the cage that he placed bananas at the top of in such a way and at such a height where any monkey could easily climb this pole and grab the bananas. So he places four monkeys in the cage. What do they do? Well, the first alpha monkey shimmies up the pole, and right as the moment he's about to grab that banana, he gets a jet of cold water from a hose. Not enough pressure to knock him down, but enough to scare him. And so he scampers down, terrified and wet and cold. The next one, in turn, tries the same treatment until there are four wet, cold monkeys longingly staring at the bananas. Then the researchers take one of the wet monkeys out of the cage and put a fresh monkey in who's never seen the hose. And guess what happened? That dry monkey shimmied up the pole, and before he could get halfway up the pole, the wet monkeys pulled him down. Then they pulled one more wet monkey out and replaced it with another dry monkey. You see where this is going. It didn't take long for all the wet monkeys to be replaced by dry Ignorant monkeys, but guess what? They had been conditioned by fear, so much so that by the time they had a few different iterations of monkeys, every single one would try to climb up the pole and be pulled down immediately by the other monkeys, and none of them had had any firsthand experience with the water jet. I wonder if that's how fear works in our lives. We're afraid of a lot of things, aren't we? And one of the fears that I think holds us back the most is a fear of failure. And maybe for you, you either grew up in a system or your life has included enough mistakes where you, like these monkeys, are very hesitant to try anything, to go for the bananas because, well, you don't really know why. You're not really sure why, but you're just afraid. Today we're talking about something that everyone Young and old will relate to this fear of failure. It can cripple us. It can hold us back from what God wants in our lives. And Moses was no stranger to it. One of the fears that I struggle with is the fear of my kids getting hurt. And so when my kindergartner got on the, the bus for the first time this fall with his second grade brother, I was nervous and I went to the bus stop and I improvised out of fear. I said, all right, we're going to do the kindness challenge, kids. What's the kindness challenge? Well... You have to do really kind things throughout the day, specifically on the school bus. And at the end of the week, I will bring a huge king-size Kit Kat candy bar, and the person who is the kindest will get that candy bar. You see what I'm doing? I'm trying to socially condition these kids because we all remember adults, right? Remember the school bus? That was like the Middle Ages, right? The dark ages, people are mean, they bully, and so now I'm on the hook for candy every Friday, and now we have extended it to second place. Here's the thing that happens. Now the fear just shifts. I'm afraid I'm making little Pharisees because they, they all line up and they say, I have done 10 nice things, and I have done 15 nice things. So I think I'm going to change it to the Micah 6-8 challenge, 
And we're going to hear about that at the end of the message. We're going to hand out these little dog tags. And what does it say on it? It's a dog tag. Child of God, I do justice. I love mercy. I walk humbly. And then it has our website. We put these dog tags on the kids' backpacks as a reminder. And parents, maybe this would fit well on your keychain because really Micah 6.8 is asking a huge question. What does God want from you? He doesn't want you to be perfect and achieve all these things. He doesn't have all this pressure that you put on yourself. He just wants you to do the right thing, do justice, to be kind, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. And maybe when we get those things right, God is very pleased. But even as we attempt to do what this dog tag says, I think fear can creep up. What if it doesn't go well? And this is where Moses comes in, and let's dive into the fear of failure. Uh, We are going to be in Exodus chapter 3, and let me just catch you up for a minute. Oh, we got our announcements. We can go to Exodus chapter 3. While the slides are getting set there, I'm going to give you a little backstory. Exodus 3, it's not on the screen, but it'll be right here. Now Moses was tending the flocks of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire. It did not burn up. Now, when things light on fire, they usually burn up. They don't stay on fire. So it was consuming, all consuming, but it was not going out. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face. A key line. He was afraid. He hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. At this, Moses hid his face. He was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. Moses was born into the Israelite Uh, clan and, and the Israelites are enslaved. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land. And then he talks about bringing them to this great land. And then he says, okay, Moses, so now you go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But, do your kids ever do this to you when you say, I have a job for you? But dad... But mom, but God, but Moses said, but God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt right away? This sense of, I don't know that I'm worthy to do that. What? And this will be a pattern throughout Exodus chapter 3 and 4 and beyond. We're going to fast forward all the way up to 4 verse 1. And what happens in chapter 3 is God tells of the great miraculous power and spectacles that he will do, the, the firepower, if you will, to get these enslaved people out of Israel. And Moses is just listening to this, and then he gets a chance to respond. Well, how does he respond? 4, verse 1, Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me? What if they say, The Lord didn't really appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. He's a shepherd at this point. They have staffs, you know, to poke the sheep and hit the wolves and all that stuff. The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake. Interesting. And he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it immediately turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, 
And the God of Jacob has indeed appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, it was leprous. That's a disease, kids. White as snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his leprous hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first miraculous sign, they may believe the second, but if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile River. This is the, the engine of this empire's power, that Nile basin creates a lot of agriculture. Take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water will take from the river will become blood as you pour it on the ground. Moses said to the Lord, O oh Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, who gave man his mouth, Moses? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you. I will speak with you. I will teach you what to say. But Moses said, Oh, Lord, please send someone else to do it. Do you see the fear of failure crippling this man's ability to cooperate and graduate and do what God wants to say? But Moses said, verse 13, Oh, Lord, please send someone else to do it. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, What about your brother? Isn't he like a parent? <sighs> Fine. Let's come up with a contingency, Moses. Let's make accommodation for your fear here. What about your brother? Aaron the Levite, I know he can speak well. He gives him a press secretary, right? He's already on his way to meet you, and his heart will be glad when he sees you. You shall speak to him and put your words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak, and you will teach people what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth, and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hands so you can perform the miraculous signs with it. This is God's word. All right, two questions I want to ask in the time that we have. And I'm going to talk fast, and I'm going to use props because it's the fifth Sunday of the month, and that means it's family Sunday, and we have kiddos in the room. And if you kids get bored, then we get bored. We're not getting bored, all right? Here's the deal. The question is this. What does the fear of failure make you do? If you live always afraid to try things because you're so afraid you're going to fail, like Moses was afraid to be used by God, here are the symptoms. So if you don't know if you have the fear of failure, three symptoms. It will make you worry instead of wonder. Worry instead of wonder. Another way to ask that or say that would be, it will make you say how before you say wow. Moses answered, what if they don't believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? The second one is, you will let inability excuse you from responsibility. Do you ever struggle with that? Do you ever look at yourself and you say, well, I'm not really good at this, and so maybe I shouldn't even try? I've done that before. I think what's going on here is Moses has the, the false belief that his abilities are fixed, that he's as good as he's ever going to get, that he can't change, and that God doesn't have the power or the desire to turn up his ability to match the responsibility that he has given Moses. Sometimes as a father, I feel this. I mean, who am I to raise small human beings? They're so complex, right? And it would be easy for me to withdraw and not try my hardest because that fear creeps up. What if I fail? Isn't there something to that? I think a lot of times we don't give it our best 
because we think to ourselves, if I try as hard as I can, I really give it 100%, and then I come up short, I will have no excuse. I'll have to admit to myself and maybe even others and to God, I gave it everything and I failed. So instead of that, I'll just give it like 10%. And then if I fail, which I probably will, I'll say, you know, I wasn't that into it. I didn't try that hard. And then, then I can somehow live with myself. But does that make sense, guys? What kind of logic is that, right? You let inability excuse you from responsibility. How many of you guys like James Bond? James Bond franchise has made a lot of money, right? And my favorite part in every James Bond movie is the gadget scene. You know, like when they, they're like, all right, here you go, 007. This watch is a stylish, stylish Rolex. Mine's not. But it also has a laser beam that can cut through 20 inches of steel. So that's nice. This bow tie is very, very sturdy and stylish. It also shoots rocket-propelled grenades. Ten of them, you know? And, and these gadgets are insane, right? And the scene is predictable no matter the Bond character. The Bond character always changes, but what happens is the, the scientist guy says, here's kind of all your gadgets for the mission, and it boosts the confidence of 007. Can you imagine a Bond movie where he shows them all the gadgets and 007 immediately falls to his knees crying and saying, I just can't do this. Send it to somebody else. This is really stressful for me. That's pretty much what happened with Moses. God said, here are all the miraculous signs I'm going to use to validate you in Pharaoh's court. And they're symbolic and strategic. They were into magic, and they were into certain symbols. The cobra, for example, is a symbol of strength in the Egyptian empire. And so this idea of turning his staff, his regular old, this is what I've gotten, this is what I know, into something special that they would understand. That was strategic. It was miraculous. This idea in the ancient world to heal a disease that would quarantine you from other people, like leprosy, unheard of. Even the, the magicians in his court couldn't do that. So, I mean, the gadgets are adding up here. What? A staff into a snake? Back into a, a staff? Leprous hand clean? He's putting it in the heart of himself. That would be almost suicidal. And then on top of that, the water in the Nile, the very water we depend on in our empire, turning into blood. How can this be? And then Moses just says, it's like he, he's a bad active listener. He just ignores all those miracles. And he just says, I don't know. I'm not very good at speaking. You run when you should stay. When you are afraid of failure, a third thing that you do, that I do, is you run when you should stay. Do I have some kids who would be willing to uh, handle a snake up here as an example? It's not a real snake. Any kids? Come on. I, need, I do need, I do need, Ivan, I know you're in on this. Come on, buddy. Come on. Come on up here. What's your name, sweetheart? Mackenzie? What do you think of this snake? Pretty realistic, right? So in this part of the story, the Lord said to Moses, what's in your hand? And he had a staff, right? A big stick. Hey, guys, you guys want to hold that for a minute? And then he said, throw it on the ground. And when Moses threw the stick on the ground, it became a snake. So let's just pretend we had a big staff and he threw it on the ground. Now you guys go over here by Isaac, Mackenzie, you too, right here. And now there's a big snake on the ground, just like this. Now, 
I'm not telling you to ever pick up a snake for legal liability. <laughs> but if you do pick up a snake, you shouldn't pick it up by the tail. And Moses would have known that because in the ancient world, when you're a shepherd, you take care of sheep and you run into snakes. And usually you just take your staff and knock them away. But the problem was he couldn't use his staff. Why? Yeah, because he already threw it on the ground and God turned it into a snake. So it's like God put him in a situation where he didn't know what to do. And what did he do? He ran away from it. I get that, right? I'd be afraid of a snake. And it was probably a cobra. And the thing about cobras, they can rise up to a full third of their body length and they can strike three lengths of their body. And their, their venom is really deadly. So he was really afraid of it. And what did God ask him to do? Yeah, quit running and pick it up. So he also said, pick it up by the tail. Now, if you had to pick up a snake, the way that you normally do that, if you had to, is you would pin the head down and you would pick it up by the back of the head. Try that, Avery, right there, real tight. Why would you do it that way instead of by the tail? Yeah, so it wouldn't bite you. That's muzzle awareness, right? This is the business end of the snake. Now, imagine... Mackenzie, you pick it up by the tail for a second. What if it was like, whoa! <laughs> right? No, you try, you try, Isaac. And it was like, ah! That's probably what Moses was thinking in his mind would happen, but God was telling him to pick up the snake in an unconventional way. Do you know what unconventional means? Like not a way that makes sense to you, not the way you would do it, not the way you've heard you should do it. So Moses ran when he saw the snake, but then he obeyed and he did pick it up by the tail. What do you think it means to pick up a snake by a tail if God told you to? Yeah, you, you would think the snake would turn around and maybe bite you, but did, did it happen in the story that way? No, it actually didn't. It turned back into the staff. What do you think God was trying to teach Moses? Do you think he was teaching him to trust him? Yeah, you guys are really smart. Do you guys, one of you guys want, us, want the snake for the rest of the time or you want to share it? Why don't you give these three a hand? Yep, you guys can go sit together over there. Give a big jump. So we see this snake business as an exercise in trust. And it's not like your corporate outing where you do a free fall exercise. I mean, this is a little more than that, right? But the fact is, it seems to me that in life, when God gives us responsibilities and opportunities, our first inclination is actually to run. How many of you are brave enough to admit that you're runners? I'm a runner sometimes. Now, running is complex because sometimes we run in, in a way that doesn't quite look like running. It's kind of a shuffle, right? Like, have you ever been in a relationship and, and things got real and vulnerable and you wondered, gosh, if I really show this person who I am, what if they reject me? And so rather than taking the risk, you're afraid about being rejected, so you run. Have you ever been really feeling like you're called to a task, but then you start comparing yourself to others and you think, I don't know, I don't really have the education, I don't really have the training, that person could do it so much better than me, that person could do it so much better than me, and there's this thing in my past and I don't feel good enough and so I better just run away from the opportunity. Moses felt severely under 
qualified to be used by God. And some of you today relate. You feel like you've done something that disqualifies you from being used by God in the way that secretly deep down you wish you could be used by God. And you have gotten so used to running that you don't call it running anymore. You just call it life. Moses, early in his career, was a prince in Egypt, and he saw his own people being mistreated and abused, and he took matters into his own hand, and he literally killed a guard. He committed murder, and that forced him to go on the run, and for decades, he was on the run. He got so used to being on the run that when God grabbed his attention and God was trying to use him, one excuse came after another, after another, he wasn't able to listen to God, and when God was trying to give him the very gadgets, the tools and the power to succeed, his first instinct was to bolt. But in God's mercy, it's like God brings him back and says, it's okay. Stop running. For some of us today, that's the, that's the takeaway. Today is the day you stop running from your fear, and with God's help, you begin to face it. So you run when you should stay. You worry instead of wonder. You let that inability, your lack of ability, excuse you from the obvious responsibility that God has given you. So those are the symptoms, and I think all of us can relate to one or more of those. So how do you cure a fear of failure? How do you cure it? By the way, if you ever listen online, and I know we have a lot of people who listen online, I know I listen to things in segments, but make sure you never just listen to the first half of my sermon and just stop and forget because usually it's the bad news for the first half, and then the gospel comes at the end, and that would be a good way to bum yourself out. So we're getting back to the good news here. Okay, so the first one is, for Kids Sunday, you replace worry with a wow, how, wow sandwich. In my house, when we have dinner time, we do good thing, hard thing sandwich, and we go around. Okay, Isaac, how was your day? Well, the good thing was I did pretty good in, in the test. The hard thing was we're eating asparagus right now, and I really don't like asparagus. Another good thing is uh, I beat my brother in Mario Kart, whatever it is. Okay, great. Clark, what was your good, hard, good sandwich? And, and we listen and we share our days. What a powerful, simple way to do that. But it occurred to me as I was preparing the message, a wow, how, wow sandwich is a very similar way to do that, but a more worshipful way. What happened in response to God getting a hold of Moses that he should say wow about? Well, I don't know, he appeared to him in an all-consuming fire that never appeared to go out and then said, like, take off your shoes. This is different. Buckle up. I mean, that deserves a wow. But Moses doesn't bring a wow, does he? He just hides his face because he's afraid. It's a version of running while standing still. And then he said, you know that desire in your heart, Moses, that you've had for many, many decades to, to be a part of instrumentally freeing your people group? Remember, you tried before and you failed? I'm going to do it, and I'm going to bring all the resources of heaven to make sure it gets done, and I'm going to use you. To which Moses really should have said, wow. But instead, he immediately went to how. How could that happen? I'm kind of a failure. I'm not very good at speaking. What if they don't believe me? What if the worst-case scenario happens? Are you the type of person who has cultivated the habit of worst-case scenario thinking? And over the years, you have convinced yourself it's a virtue? 
You're just a strategic thinker. You're just prudent. You're just wise. I've been there before. When I came off active duty military, I was always doing risk assessments on things because they teach you to do that with combat. And I think I was kind of pouring cold water on everybody else. You know, they'd have an idea and I'd say, well, here are the 10 things that could go wrong in reverse order with their corresponding consequences. I'd like to give a short PowerPoint presentation and then we can still talk about if you'd like to do that, you know? Wow, thanks, Mike. When we make a habit of always going to the how before standing back and saying, wow, God, we, we lose our holy curiosity. We lose the ability to let our imagination soar into the upper atmosphere of possibilities about what the God who had never had a beginning and will never have an end could do in our lives. Maybe you're fighting a bad habit, an addiction even, and you've tried to kick that before, but every time it occurs to you to, to try to kick it again, you just say, well, it didn't work before, so how could that even work? I guess I'll just keep going. No, no, no. Do a wow, how, wow sandwich instead. What if instead you said, wow, God, you generated the universe with the word of your voice. You sustain every living thing on planet Earth. You have been intimately present in every moment in linear human history. You have presided over billions of lives, and you have done more powerful things in people's lives than I can even imagine, and there is nothing too hard for you. Wow. And after you do a little wowing, then you go to the how. Now, about my inability to get this right. Who would I need to talk to? What would I need to do? How could I get this done? You see, after you go wow first and then you go to how, you're calm. You're open to new possibilities. You're open to thinking differently. Now, unfortunately, Moses is not the case study of getting it right here. He just doesn't get it right. He uh, says this. In response to Exodus 3.20, I, I told you a little bit about it. Now I want to read what God said right before he gives God an excuse. God says this, So I will stretch out my hand and I will strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. And, and I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards this people so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed and so you will plunder the Egyptians. He's talking about gold and silver. I mean, get this straight. Moses, deep down in his heart, wants his people to be released. He tried that once on his own, and it didn't go so well. And now God, Yahweh, the one true God of all creation, has come to him personally and said, I'm going to get it done through you. I'm going to use every resource. And not only will I use you to free them on your way out, they're going to fill up your bank account. You're going to, like, plunder them. I mean, how, they've been in slavery for 430 years. They barely eke out a living. They have no self-dignity or worth. They couldn't even imagine that. And now Moses, who's just been a shepherd for a few decades, is saying, you're going to use me in that way? His response really should be like, wow. You would use me, even me, to do that? You would free us, but not even just free us. You would actually uh, like finance the whole desert journey, and you'd put us into this wonderful land? but his fear of failure focuses everything on Moses. It's all about Moses. Fear will make you look at you and nobody else. How does it affect me? I know it's a rescue operation for thousands and thousands of people who are profoundly struggling, but I can't even hear that. All I can hear is, what if I fail? 
Or what if God fails me? What if I look foolish? What if I don't have what it takes? What if I'm not good at speaking? What if they don't believe me? What if they make rumors about me? What if, what if, what if, what if? The worries just start murmuring and murmuring and murmuring, and he jumps right into the excuses. What if instead he responded like a young teenage girl who was given news that was equally as heavy and hard to believe, but instead did a wow, how, wow sandwich. Her name is Mary. Mary, these famous lines, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. We're pulling that out of Luke's gospel where we're told an angel appears to this young girl and said, Mary, you're going to carry the Messiah in your womb. And she instantly exclaims kind of a response of worship. And then she asks the how. God's not against asking questions. If you grew up in a church where that was not okay to ask questions, that was wrong. God's okay with questions, but it's all about the motive of the heart, you see. She says, well, how? Because I'm a virgin. I've never slept with a man. How could I be impregnated? To which the angel explains, well, the Holy Spirit will make this possible. Everything is possible with God. And if she was following the example of Moses, who she would have been intimately acquainted with reading about, she would have then volleyed right back into another excuse. Also, I'm kind of poor, and what if the people around me think that it wasn't the Holy Spirit, it was something else? And what if people whisper nasty things about me, and I'm not sure if I could handle that, but instead she says none of that. She goes straight from the how back to the wow. She says, wow, I'm the Lord's servant. Mary answered, may your word to me be fulfilled. A lot of Protestants are hard on Catholics for revering Mary. I don't know, guys. When you see her response here, she's on to something. She had no resources. She's just a young girl. And she's saying, I'm confused. I don't get it. You're not giving me a full answer. It's still a little abstract, but even still, I'm just going to trust you. What if that thing you're facing right now, the fear of failure at work, the fear of failure in your marriage because it doesn't seem to be going well and you wonder, could it ever get better? What if your response to that responsibility, that opportunity was, wow, God, you can do anything. With you, all things are possible. Everything's a gift. Now, God, about my marriage, how do I take responsibility for my part of this? Is there hope? How, how could I change in such a way where I could know you more deeply and I could, I could serve my spouse more fully? And then before you get all the answers perfect, you step right back into, wow. Wow, God, I'm just going to thank you in advance for the miraculous things that you can do because nothing is too hard for you to do. Don't be a person whose life is characterized by worry. Be a person who d- eats a lot of wow how, wow, sandwiches. That's hard to say. Secondly, how do we cure this fear of failure? We let God define our responsibilities and our abilities because he's better at that. Did you notice the response God says to Moses' excuse? The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouth? I mean, think about how logical that is, guys. God can turn your ability up as needed. Now, beside the point, it's kind of interesting that Moses really assumes public speaking and or like oration skills are really what's going to free these people. I mean, God just said, I'm going to bring all the firepower of heaven and all these miracles and 
you're not even going to know what hit, what hit them after I work through you. They're going to give you gold and silver on the way out. I'm going to lead you through the pro At no point did he say, here's the deal. We're going to give you nine sessions of public speaking for beginners. And you, by the end of this, will be such a silver-tongued order that you're going to waltz in there, and, and you're just going to give, like, the best sermon. Everyone will weep. Lives will be changed. Pharaoh will respond to your altar call on the spot. He will repent. You'll start a, a little church there called the Church of Egypt. And then from there, you will just move through the promised land, preaching, and the power of your oration, Moses, is going to get this done. But his mind goes right away to, but I stuck but I'm slow of tongue. Is it possible that God uses people who have limitations and inabilities so that at the end of the day, no one will be confused about where the power is coming from? And if that's possible, and I would argue it's biblically probable, maybe you, in your inability, and you know which inability I'm talking about, it's very near and dear to you, you've agonized over it, maybe God would use that very inability to be leveraged for God's glory. Are you willing to let God define what you're responsible for and what you're not responsible for and then to pair, to synchronize the corresponding abilities necessary? Or are you the type of person who has gotten very accustomed to telling God how it's all going to work out and why it won't work out? And why? Because you lack this skill or that amount of money or that amount of influence, you couldn't and shouldn't be used by him to help other people. So get someone else, God. If you want to be cured of your fear of failure, let God define your responsibilities. Pray about it. Ask him to reveal, what am I actually responsible for? Some of us overestimate what we're responsible for, and we try to control and manipulate stuff that we're not responsible for, and some of us underestimate. And we're chronically shirking off our responsibilities, like Moses was saying, I just, I'm, I'm really too afraid if I start that, I won't be good at it, and I'll be rejected. Whatever error, whatever ditch of the road you find yourself in, come to the center and drop your fear. And that brings us to the third point. How do we do this? We grab our fear by the tail. The kids already taught us this. In the ancient world, if you had to pick up a snake, you did it by the head. That's good muzzle awareness. That's keeping the fangs away from the face. When he calls Moses back from running to, to just say, okay, Moses, just pick it up by the tail. There's some really good Hebrew poetry going on. He said, stretch out your hand, which is repeated throughout the narrative. Pharaoh stretch out, stretches out his hand in oppression. God stretches out his hand in offering miracles to rescue. And now he's inviting Moses into the hand stretching out business. He's saying, now you stretch out your hand. You've given up the one security blanket you have, your little staff your ordinary little abilities. And now I've told you to throw those abilities on the ground, offer them, surrender them to me. And then when they did, they terrified you. It's a snake, a cobra most likely. It's reeling up now, Moses. Do you really trust me? Reach out and just grab it by the tail. And the text implies he obeyed. This is good news for failures and people whose lives are riddled by mistakes that are driven by fear. It doesn't matter how many mistakes you've made or fears you have entertained there is a fresh opportunity today to ever so slightly reach out and grab the tail. And what's beautiful is the minute he touches that tail, God assures him. What if the thing you're most terrified to do is just one tail grab away? 
some relief. You know, the thing that obedient act, you got to go forgive, you got to have that conversation, you got to go confess, you got to ask for help, you got to stop focusing all your energy, your money, your resources on you and start living for Him, but you're afraid for whatever reason. What if He's not asking you to grab it by the head? Because when you grab your fear by the head, what is that symbolizing? You're in control, you're following conventional methods, you're you're reading the consultant's report and you're, you're doing the wisdom of the world and implementing it. And you're, you're, you're maybe listening to God like you would a consultant, implementing some of his stuff, rejecting the, the, the radical stuff. But the thing is, if we follow Christ, Mercy Road, he's going to ask us to do things that don't seem conventional. Forgive other people? What about that piece of work that did that to me? Him too? Yep, him too. See, if I were to grab that forgiveness issue by the head, it would look like I'll forgive him on these terms if he first asks for forgiveness to me. And I'll maintain that forgiveness only if he seems to get better. And he says, no, 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 no. That's you grabbing it by the head. You grab it by the tail. Let me handle the head. What about sexual ethics? I mean, it's radical stuff. God assumes that sexual ethics are not primarily a consumption good like our world says they are, and they're not the highest good, and that singleness is actually a gift for some people, and that some people are called into singleness. What if you sense you're called into singleness, a focused, laser-like, burning focus on serving other people, and the world says, no, you're missing out if you don't have a sexual relationship, if you're not into romance. If you grab that by the head, you'll probably pressure yourself into going with the world's wisdom, but if you grab it by the tail, what if the minute you do that, God gives you a calm and a peace and a new purpose and a passion? What about money? God says, you don't own it. And if you try to own it, it's going to own you. And you say, no, I, I'm going to grab it by the head. I'm going to start being more generous. If you grab it by the head out of a desire to control, even if it's a good intention to be generous, every time you give, you'll feel better about yourself and you say, God, you owe me now because I gave money. Or you'll give just enough to feel good about yourself and feel good in the presence of other people so that you feel generous, but you'll never give what God wants you to give because you're holding that snake by the head. But what if you grabbed it by the tail? I picture Moses really terrified because, you know, it's a cobra. And I picture kind of like when you're trying to steal a base. And you just kind of reach out. And I almost kind of picture him doing one of these. Like, because cobras go for the face. You know, you just, and he just grabs the tail. And that picture encourages me because there are things in my life that I just don't want to grab by the tail. I want to run away from. And if I can't run away from them, I do want to grab them by the head and be in full control if I have to. But God says, I am asking nothing less than total trust. Trust me. Moses, trust me. This will be a theme. How do you cure your fear of failure, church? You replace your worry with wow. Then you ask the how. You let God define those responsibilities and the corresponding abilities. He can turn it up as necessary. He can bring other people like Aaron alongside you. You grab that fear by the tail in his power and you feel the relief on the other side. And lastly, this is our mission statement. Only knowing, trusting, and loving God will cure the fear of failure within you. Only knowing, trusting, and loving God will cure the fear. To the degree you know God, and you trust God, and you love God, you will begin to step out 
and you'll find fear rolls off you like water on Teflon. Because you feel so secure. I'm secure for eternity. He's forgiven my sins. I'll be with him forever. Nothing that is bad or evil that could happen to me, cancer or suffering or slander or any of it, will have any effect on me ultimately. Even the bad stuff will grow my faith because my God is so powerful and he loves me. And he's committed to freeing me and using me to free other people. When you feel that secure, and that is the mission statement of our kids' ministry, feeling secure. We want the little ones to know God so they feel secure, that they don't have to prove themselves. And out of that security, they can try new things, even if they fail. When you feel that secure, fear will go away. The writer of 1 John put it this way, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. When you experience the perfect love of God, the fear gets driven out. Maybe for me, maybe for you, maybe for someone sitting next to you today, that's the answer. You just need to access the perfect love of God. You need to meditate on how much he loves you and how much he cares for you. And to the degree you do that, it'll drive out these fears. This appears to be the pattern of how Moses got rid of the fear. He trusted God and he saw God come through. He trusted God and then he ran, and then he came back to the table, and he grabbed the snake by the tail, and he saw God come through. What does God require of you? To do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. That's it. That's all. Can we do it on our own? No. If we try, we'll be afraid of failure. But if we do justice and love mercy and walk humbly out of a reservoir of experiencing God's love, the fear of failure will not keep us back from the endeavor. That is our prayer for our kids. As we transition, we're going to have just a short closing song, and if your kid, your child has a backpack, or even if they don't, would you please walk them up during this song and grab a little dog tag? We also have silencers of different colors. We have pink ones, black ones, and camel ones. And the idea is this, put it on their backpack so that they can remember what they're made for, their purpose. And this loving God will help them do that. Parents, we've got a lot of these dog tags. Uh, single folks, students, anybody who wants one of these, retirees, grab one. You can put it on your keychain, your fishing pole, whatever, wherever you need to be reminded. Before we do that, let's pray together. Gracious God, would you free us from a fear of failure as a church, as individuals, as families? Forgive us for running at times. Forgive us for letting fear drive and keep us from the responsibilities that you have set before us. And now we, we pray over our children. We ask that you would bless them on the school bus, in the classroom, and into their callings in the rest of their adult lives. As they grow and mature, may this little dog tag, this call of your expectations of them, your invitation to them, work powerfully as a visual reminder let them be little boys and girls who do justice and love mercy and walk humbly and let them grow into men and women who are not afraid to fail as they love and serve you. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen.